Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Like Dale said, my name is Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor here. And today we are continuing our series looking back kind of at the 30 years that God's had us in Huntington Beach. And this for us, this is a significant year because we are celebrating 30 years of being in this community. And so we want to start the year off um, and kind of take a look at what, what's the church all about? What's, what's the big idea of the church? What's the mission? What's God trying to accomplish? And then through that, we're seeing, okay, how's God used us through the years? And then even looking into the future, which we're going to do in the coming weeks, and we're going to see, okay, what might God have in store for us as we um, continue to move forward from this point? So that's what we're doing in this series. And today, we're going to take a look at the mission of the church. What is our mission? And when we talk about this, we're not just talking about the mission of Seabreeze in general, but we're, we're going to take a look at the church as a whole through, through all of the history of the church since Jesus put it in place. What has the mission been? And the reality is, is since Jesus walked the earth, the world has changed a lot. We, we've seen nations rise and fall. There have been political and cultural movements that have swept across, across the globe. We've seen technologies developed that allow ideas to travel quickly and impact huge numbers of people. We've also seen the rise of technologies that allow people as individuals to move around quickly through the different technologies we have. Even in the last 50 years, you think about the development of the internet and how much each one of us is dependent upon the internet for the different parts of our lives. And just as you think through this, you realize the world has changed quite a lot since Jesus was here. It looks a lot different. And the reality is, is the church has changed too. The church, as you go back and you look at the 2,000-year history of the church, you see there are changes in that history, some major changes and some less consequential. And even in our history, even in our 30 years of being here in this community, we've seen stuff change. I mean, one example is uh, the first building where we ever held a gathering on Easter 1988. We, we met in this building downtown on Main Street. You know where that's at? Maine and Sixth, yes. There's an Italian restaurant there. It used to be a Swedish restaurant. I didn't know that. That's where we held our first meeting. Another way that we've changed, uh, in our early days, we were short on space, and so we wanted to provide more space for kids' classes. So we, we purchased a bus, and we took all the seats out of the bus, and we put carpet in there. They had Sunday school. This is where they used to have Sunday school. It's a big difference, big change between where we're at today and where we used to be. By the way, that's Ron Budd in that picture. I just saw, I know. I did, Ron, he just looked down and covered, so I couldn't help but mention that because I saw him do that. But isn't that awesome? I love the fact that there are so many of you that have been here since the very beginning. I love that. I think that's God's faithfulness on display. But the church has definitely changed a whole lot since these days when we were originally down at the restaurant and then had Sunday school in the classes, but even in the buses. But even with all the changes, the reality is the mission of the church has never changed. The mission that was given by Jesus 2,000 years ago is just as important as it was when he gave it. It's the same mission, and the mission is going to stay the same until Jesus comes and wraps up history and the work of the church is complete. The mission informs everything that we do, because when Jesus comes, the question's going to be, were you faithful to carry out the mission that I gave you? The mission's revealed several places throughout the Bible, but one place where it's really clear is in the book of Matthew. Matthew writes this story about Jesus's life, and he records all these events, and as he does that, as he comes towards the end of 
the kind of the record of Jesus's time here on earth, he, he records the mission that Jesus gives. And just kind of in a, in a, in a buildup to this scene that we're getting ready to read through, what happens is Jesus has already gone to the cross. Jesus rose. He conquered the grave. He proved that he had victory over death. And then he's revealed himself to his followers. So they know that he's back. And then he, he goes to the ones who followed him most closely, the 11, and he says, I want you guys to meet me on the side of this mountain. So these 11 guys go and they meet Jesus on the side of this mountain, and it's there that he gives them the mission for the church. And this is what he says in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In this statement that Matthew records, he identifies the mission of the church. And specifically, he brings up two things that the church is supposed to focus on. When Jesus gives this, there's two different things that he wants us to focus on. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. What is the church supposed to focus on? Not just Seabreeze. I mean, we need to know this for us. But this, again, this, this, this mission that he gave 2,000 years ago, it's rung true for every single church. And so what is it that the church is supposed to focus on? The first thing, the church is supposed to focus on increasing. That is our mission, to focus on increasing. Jesus identifies this when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Now, if somebody walks up to you today, and they, some stranger walks up to you and they say, Hey, you, go do this thing, and they tell you to go do something. It's only logical for you to ask the question, Who is this person who's talking to me, and do they have the right to tell me to do this? I mean, that's only logical. Who, who is this? Do I know this person? Is there any kind of a relationship? Am I aware of who they are? And do they actually have the authority to tell me to do this thing? I mean, that's, that's only logical for us to ask that. I mean, my wife and I, we've got a three-year-old little girl. And with our little girl, we're trying to teach her how to pick up her toys. Yeah, it's tough to discipline her when she smiles like that. <laughs> but we're trying to teach her how to pick up her toys and how to kind of do some chores around the house. I, as her father, I, I have a relationship with her because of who I am, because of the role that I play in her life. So I can tell my daughter, Olivia, go pick up your toys. I can do that. I have that right. I have that authority. But I can't do that to your kids, just like you can't come in my house and tell my kids what to do. So when, when Jesus says this, it's important to realize he's not just some stranger showing up on the side of the mountain and saying, okay, I want you to go do this. This is Jesus, the guy that they have followed around for the last three years of their lives. They've followed him. They've heard his teaching in the villages. They saw him perform miracles. They were there when he healed the sick and he gave sight to the blind and he brought people back to life. They were there with him on the road when multiple times he said, I'm going to have to die. I'm going to go into Jerusalem and this is the kind of death that I'm going to die and I'm giving my life, but I'm going to, I'm going to come back from the grave three days later, I'm going to conquer death, and I'm going to give forgiveness. They were there through this whole process. They were there when he goes into Jerusalem during that final week, and he's put on trial, and he's falsely accused, and then he's brutally killed. They're, they're front row seat eyewitnesses to all of this happening. You can imagine just like the, the, the roller coaster of emotion as they're going through this. Okay, is he really going to do what he said he would do? He said he was going to come back, but he just died. Is he going to come back? 
You know, he, he, he again and again claimed to be God, and this is kind of the final, final stamp of proof that he is, in fact, God. Is he really going to do it? And then what happens? He conquers death, and he comes back. And he doesn't just kind of like show up as an apparition in their mind and kind of give them this intuition that he's risen. He shows up physically, and he comes to them, and he says, hey, look, it's me. In, this is my body. You, you know me. You walked around this earth with me. I'm real. I did this. I conquered the grave, and now I can give forgiveness to everybody. They knew this wasn't just some stranger saying this to them. This was God in flesh, Jesus. They knew this. They knew him. So when he shows up to them on the side of this mountain, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, What Jesus is really saying at this point is he's saying, guys, I'm king. All authority in heaven on earth, I'm in control of everything. I'm king. And now what I want you to do is go and increase my kingdom. A kingdom is a territory over which a king reigns. So when Jesus says this to them, they knew in their mind, this is what they understood, They understood that what Jesus was saying to them when he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go. What he's saying to them is, I want you to go and increase the territory over which I reign. This actually lines up with what Jesus has been saying to them all along. There's there's another example of this in, in the interaction with Peter. Peter was kind of one of the more vocal of the followers. And Peter's talking, or Jesus is talking to Peter, and he's He's explaining to Peter something important that the church is going to do. This is what he says to him in Matthew 16. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And then he says this, so fascinating, And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now when he says Hades here, what he's referring to is he's referring to the powers of evil and death. So Jesus is really kind of painting this really fascinating picture. And in Jesus' time, what you would have is you would have a territory or a, uh, an, an amount of land, a countryside, and it was controlled by a city. They wouldn't like wall off the whole territory, but these cities would be built, and there would be these impressive walls, and the walls were intended to keep the enemy or anyone else out. And whoever controlled the city controlled the surrounding territory. And when it came to these cities, if you wanted to kind of take over control of a territory, you had to defeat the city, and the weakest place on the city was the gate. So that's where the fighting would be. They would take the fighting to the city gate, and if they could conquer the city, then they could take control of a territory. So when Jesus says to Peter, he says that the church is going to take the fight right to the gates of Hades, what Jesus is describing is a battle that a determined control of a territory. That's what Jesus is talking about. A territory that is currently held captive by Satan and was stolen by him as a result of sin. He currently controls it. But Jesus' plan is to take back control of that territory. And specifically when we talk about this, the territory that Jesus is after is the human heart. That's what he's concerned with. The, the thinking, feeling, decision-making, control center, core of who you are, the internal you, that's the territory that Jesus is after. That's what he's going after. It's, it's the eternal part of us, the part that will last forever. And what Jesus desires to do is to bust through the walls of rebellion and arrogance and sin 
and confusion so that he can bring life where Satan caused death. Now, when we look around us, let's just just take this community where we live. When we look at this community around us, we don't necessarily see this going on. We see see people who are smiling. We see million-dollar homes. We see nice cars. We see people who are living generally comfortable lives. But if we could just kind of look below the surface, see from God's perspective what's really going on, we would see people who are captives to lies that have the power to destroy them for all of eternity. And so when Jesus says to these initial followers of his, these 11, he says, go. These are the guys that are going to go and get the church started. They're going to oversee the expansion and church of the growth. These guys understood what Jesus is saying is we are supposed to go out and we are supposed to increase the number of people that are impacted by Jesus and come under his rule and his reign. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. They, they understood that this was the mission. The mission is to go and increase. Now at Seabreeze, there's a phrase that we use that kind of helps capture this idea. We use the phrase, us for them. It's a phrase, us for them, really captures the attitude that's required for us if we're going to have the kind of impact that God wants us to have, if we're going to go and love our community and share the love of Jesus and help more people experience the freedom and the forgiveness and the peace that he has to offer. Now, when we talk about us and them, it's just the reality. These two pronouns exist, and the words, there's nothing wrong with the words us and them. They really just describe distinctions or differences in groups. So like today, there's two football games going on today. The games will determine who plays in the Super Bowl in two weeks, so the conference championship games. So I just want to do a poll. Who in here, by raising your hand, who in here cares about those football games today? Okay, don't be ashamed. Yeah, you can raise. Some people are like, is he going to like judge me? I care too. My hand's up. I care too. Okay. I want to know. Now, you can put your hands down. Raise your hand if you don't care. Okay. Now, I'm not trying to cause any like division in the room or animosity. But that's just, that's just evidence of there's differences. There's those of us, myself included, who we care about these two football games going on today. Then the them, the rest of you, <laughs> who you don't care. Even in my own house, there's this difference. There's this divide. I care. My wife, before the message this morning where I said this, I, you know, I don't even know if she knew that there were two football games going on today. <laughs> You know, there's an us and there's a them. The problem is not us and them. The problem is the attitude that the two groups form about one another. And when it comes to this idea of us and them, there's, there's kind of three main attitudes. One of the attitudes that we can take, three common attitudes, one of the attitudes is us versus them. It's really an attitude that's about competition. It's an issue of, of who's better or who's worse. We actually see this all the time. I mean, you know, today, who's a Patriots fan in here? Okay, not trying to, okay, yeah, see, the Patriot fans always identify themselves because they win everything. <laughs> but um, who, you guys understand this because every time you guys win a championship, it just gets worse. It's really you guys versus the world. I mean, you talk to other NFL fans, you talk to, you know, other fans, hey, you know, if your team's not in the game, who do you want to win? What's the answer? Anyone but the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, you understand this. I mean, it's just, 
us versus them, you know, we see this all over the place. Trivial issues like sports, we also see it, you know, it permeates all different elements of society. Just turn on the news and you're going to see this us versus them competitive attitude. The church can do this too. The church, the, the people who are a part of the church can take this attitude where they really kind of come up with this, this animosity, this kind of competitive spirit of who's better, who's worse, against people who aren't yet a part of the church. And if the church does that, if the church is us versus them, we won't be faithful in fulfilling the mission. We won't increase. We'll really sideline ourselves, and we won't be able to move forward. So that's one of the attitudes, us versus them. Another one is us for us. It's really an attitude of apathy. It's just no concern with what's going on outside of these walls. The church can do this. I mean, you know, examples just in our society. Increasingly, what, what happens in our neighborhoods is we get off work, we go home, we open the garage door, we park our car, we close the garage door, we go inside, we heat up dinner, we sit down in front of the TV, and we watch Netflix for the rest of the night. Just kind of a general, it's, it's not that we, you know, have this disdain and we don't like people who live around us. It's just, you know, we just really don't care. We're just kind of consumed with ourselves and what's going on in our lives, and there's just this kind of general unawareness of what's happening. Again, the church can do that as well. The church can just kind of become so self-absorbed and, you know, our Bible studies and our worship services and our walk with God that we just kind of become apathetic and unaware to what's going on around us. Again, if we do that, we're not going to be faithful in fulfilling the mission of increasing because we're just self-absorbed. Then there's another attitude we can have, and that's the us-for-them attitude. This is really an attitude of love. This attitude takes a genuine concern that shows up in tangible action for the benefit of other people. And if we are going to be faithful, we, any church is going to be faithful at increasing and moving the mission forward. If any church is going to do that, this, the church has to decide, the members and the leaders of the church have to decide, we're going to be us for them. We are going to choose to love the people that God's placed around us. So the reality is this has always been true of the church. The reality is the church exists for those who are not yet a part. That's a reality. It's true for us. It's true for every church. You go back and you study church history, and again and again, you see this happen in the church. The church has to continuously decide, are we going to love? Are we going to be us for them, or are we just going to focus on ourselves? Or are we going to come up with this kind of competitive spirit against people who aren't yet a part of us? And if the church is going to increase, the church has to choose this attitude of love. I mean, in our 30-year history of a church, you, you see this happen over and over again, where the members and the leadership of the church chose this. I mean, we were down at the Rogers Center, the senior center downtown. And as more people were impacted by God's love and the church began to increase, what happened? They moved up to the library. And then the same thing happened. As more people are impacted by God's love and more people take this us for them, then what happens? Then we come onto this property. And then you even see it here since we've been on this property. We go from two services to three services. I mean, I could go on and on different ways that the church has had to continuously ask the question, how can we be us for them? How can we continue the mission and focus on increasing? That's what Jesus told us to do. I mean, it, there's tons of points along the way where the leadership and the members of the church could have said, 
you know what, we're at the Rogers Center. You know, we're averaging, you know, 200, 300 people in attendance on a Sunday. This is nice, you know. This is nice. This is kind of the size a church should be. You know, 200 people, you know everybody when you walk in. If Jesus was a part of a church, it would be a church of 200, okay? <laughs> let's just stay like this. Let's stay, let's just, this is comfortable. Let's just stay like this. But they didn't. They continued this us for them, asking the question, how can we impact more people? How can we continue to love? They could have done the same thing at the library. You know, 400, 500, this is, we don't need a building. Buildings, you know, we don't need a mortgage. We don't need to spend the money on the mortgage. We don't need, you know, just kind of the wear and tear of facilities and just kind of routine maintenance. We don't need that. Let, we'll just pay rent. Let somebody else deal with that stuff. We'll, let's just stay this size, stay where we're at. What did they do? Again, they're asking the question, how can we increase? How can we fulfill the mission? How can we be us for them and go and love the community God's placed around us? The church is continuously faced with this question. I mean, for us right now, you know, you draw a map of Huntington, we're pretty much right kind of in the middle of that. And if you draw a circle around us, about five mile, about a five mile radius, what you'll find is it's just under half a million people live within about five miles of this property. That's amazing, half a million people. And you're talking about people who, they might have heard the name Jesus, but when they hear that name, they don't understand the implications like the followers did on the side of the mountain. They don't know what he's done. They don't know the peace and forgiveness and the joy that he brings. These are people who, they're not involved in church. They need us to go out and focus on, hey, how can we share the love of Jesus? How can we tell more people, serve more people so they can experience what we've experienced? I mean, we, we have such a great opportunity with where God's placed us. We have such a great visible presence. We have to continue to ask the question, how can we be us for them? Focus on loving the people around us. Focus on continuing to increase the mission. But you know, this mission that God's given, it's not just a regional or a city mission. It's actually a global mission that we're a part of. That's why in this passage, Jesus says, all nations. When he says go, the question is, well, where are we supposed to go? He says all nations. In other words, wherever there are people, anywhere there are people, there are human hearts that Jesus is concerned with. And he wants them to experience his love and his forgiveness and the freedom that he offers. So that means his church has to be a part. Wherever they are, we've got to be a part of that. So we can't just say, oh, you know what? We're just going to focus on Huntington, you know, cross the 405. No, that's not our thing. You know, cross an ocean. No way. We're not touching that. Hey, if there are people there, we've got a partner. We've got to send some short term, some long term. We've got to provide money. We've got to provide support because this mission, it's not just for here and us. This is a global mission that we're a part of. And if we as a church are going to be faithful in fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave us, we have to continue to choose to be us for them and love the people around us and love the people throughout this world so that that mission can increase. The 11 guys on the side of that mountain who Jesus is addressing when he gives this, these guys understood it. You read the history of their lives and you track it. They went and did this. They went and they started churches and they led churches and they developed ministries and they organized around this mission so that they could be faithful to it. And they did that by being us for them. Same thing applies to us today. Same mission, the same attitude is required. That brings us to the second part of the mission, 
which we have to focus on changed lives. We have to focus on changed lives. Jesus, again, this comes from him. This comes from what he said. Now, at Seabreeze, this is something that we talk about. We, we talk about how we're, we're not just trying to, you know, we're not after conformity. We're not trying to fill seats. We're not just saying, oh, hey, you know, 900 people showed up. Great. We did a great job. What we're after, what we really want to see is people experience the life change that Jesus desires for them. And what we understand is in order for life change to take place, individuals, you and me, we have to choose to obey. As we obey, our lives are changed. That's what's required. If you want to experience life change, you have to obey. And the church is to focus on this and help create this. That's what it says in Matthew 18 again, where Jesus says this. Look what he says. He says, make disciples of all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what Jesus says is really three statements that point to the importance of obedience. Like, what, what is a disciple? When Jesus says, go and make disciples, what is a disciple? We don't, we don't use this term, but a disciple, that's really just a follower. That's what that means. So he's saying, go increase the number of followers. Actually, what you find is the word disciple, as you read through the Bible, if you, you, know, if you opened your Bible to Matthew, and then you started reading from there through the rest of the books, what you'd find is this word disciple is really replaced by the word Christian. Because as these followers grew and increased, as they carried out the mission that the church is supposed to do, as they did this, what happened is society as a whole had to come up with a name for this growing group of people. And they couldn't just call them followers, because who are they following? So what do they call them? Christians, which is Christ follower. So if you identify as a Christian, what you're saying is you're saying that you are a follower. And any follower, they take their instruction in life from the leader. They identify their next steps, what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to do it from the leader. And this means the identifying mark of a follower is obedience. You can tell if somebody is following if they obey the one who is leading them. And so when somebody becomes a Christian, they're becoming a follower of Jesus, and so they're embarking on a journey, well, over and over again, they're going to have to decide to follow, or they're going to have to decide to obey. So Jesus says, okay, take this step. They're going to have to decide, okay, am I going to take that step, or am I not going to take that step? Jesus says, take this step. They're going to have to decide, am I going to follow, am I going to take that step or not? And then there's going to be another step. This journey of over and over again, am I going to follow? Am I going to keep in step with what he's saying to do? As we do that, as we take what we're learning and put it into practice, we change. That's how life change takes place. And it's the job of the church to provide an environment or to provide a context where that takes place. So it's through the teaching or it's through group life or it's through... Maybe it's through the relationships. I mean, this is where you get to connect with other believers who they can encourage you and they can challenge you and support you and help you. Maybe, maybe the church brings correction in some way. Maybe we get off track. Maybe Jesus is saying, do this, and somebody starts heading in another direction and the church needs to come alongside with some correction. But it's in the context, in the environment of the church, where we learn these things and we get to practice these and go do these things, and then that's where change happens. I mean, I, I'm, I'm like most of you guys on a Sunday. I'm not up here most weeks. 
And so I'm sitting out there in the crowd like you, and I'm listening to Bevan, our senior pastor, teach. And as he's teaching, you know, he's explaining something from God's word, part of that teaching them to obey everything. You know, he's identified something. This is what the church needs to learn. This is what we need to focus on. So he's teaching that. I'm sitting out there, and it'll, something will kind of click in my brain. It'll be like, oh, that's really good. That's what I need to do. And now I kind of have an idea of how I should do it. And this might be an opportunity where I could actually take that and do that this week. There's this insight, kind of this like light bulb moment. And those can be really encouraging. And it's great when you leave on a Sunday morning and you've got this sense of like, oh, I know what I need to do. I've got this insight. But the tricky thing is, is the insight doesn't change us. The insight doesn't actually have any power until it works its way through our bodies and shows up in the form of obedience. Once we act on what we learned, that's where we start to change. The church is providing the opportunities for this to happen. It's the environment where this life change takes place. But it's ultimately on the individuals, on you and on me. We've got to decide, are we going to change or are we not going to change? Are we going to obey or are we not going to obey? An example of this is baptism. Jesus actually, I think it's so fascinating that Jesus brings this up when he's teaching on this. Baptism, it's, it's a simple ceremony. I mean, if you think about it, it's a... You know, somebody, one of the pastors, you know, they take you, they dunk you underwater, they bring you up. It's a statement that you're engaged in a process where your whole life is going to change. Jesus has begun a change on the inside, and just like the water changes your physical appearance, so Jesus is going to change every part of who you are. But baptism is a public statement that you're engaged in this change process. It's not something, I mean, you can't go home this afternoon you know, in between football games, take a bath and go, up, oh, baptized. That's not what baptism is. It's public. It takes place in the context of the church. It's really a simple ceremony. I mean, the, the statement that it makes, it's a huge statement because it's a statement of, I'm engaged in a lifelong process where Jesus is going to transform me. He's washing me and he's making me new. It's a profound statement that it makes, but it's really a simple ceremony. What's tricky about it, though, is it's a command. He says to do this. Because it's a command, that means it's a choice. We have to choose. He said do it. So am I going to take that step, and am I going to do it? I can't force you to get baptized. I mean, I can't just walk around with a bowl on Sunday morning and just, you know, like dunk it on people. I can't do I, That's a personal decision you have to make. Your parents can't make that decision for you. It's a... I'm going to decide to follow Jesus, and so I'm going to follow him, and I'm going to take this step. And he identifies it in the church because in the church, that's where publicly you're saying to everyone else, hey, I'm doing this. I'm serious about this. I'm following Jesus. And as you do that, over time, what happens is you continue to take step after step after step of obedience in the context of the church. The life change that Jesus wants to bring about, that happens. But it happens as we obey step after step, and we do that in the context of the church. These two focuses of our mission, when you think about our focus on increasing and the focus on changed lives, these two focuses of our mission, they're really inseparable. They're really intertwined. You can't pull them apart. Actually, as you do one, you're going to be doing the other. And if you don't focus on one, it's going to prevent you from being successful in pulling the other off. I mean, if we really want to increase... What that means is we're going to have to choose over and over again to be us for them. 
which means there's a whole lot of areas where we're going to have to grow in obedience, changed lives. We can't move forward in increasing unless we're practicing this. Same thing, how can we move forward in changed lives and help more and more people experience life change if we're not focused on increasing, if we're ignoring that part of the mission, we're not obeying. So this mission that he gives, these two focuses, they're really inseparable. You can't have one without the other. It's true for us, it's true for every church. We're supposed to focus on increasing. We're supposed to focus on changed lives. That's the mission that he's given us. So again, as Jesus says, Matthew 28, and Jesus came to them, the 11, the first guys who would go and start the church. This is the mission that he gives them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Wherever there are people, there are hearts. They need this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then there's this awesome promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The promise that as the church stays faithful to carry out the mission, every step along the way, Jesus is with us. The one who all authority in heaven and on earth, the one who is now king, is with us every single step as we carry out his mission. This is the mission of the church. This is what we're supposed to focus on. I want to ask everybody to pull out your connection card. Dale referenced this earlier. But there's something on the back. At the beginning of each year, we give the team members of Seabreeze an opportunity to renew their membership for the coming year. And so if you've previously been a member of Seabreeze, I want to invite you um, to continue your membership on this team. Doing this is your way of indicating, I am joining with Seabreeze to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us in this community and around the world. So there's three questions. We always ask these three questions. Three questions, you'll see them there. I've decided to follow Jesus. It's a requirement of being a member. I've been baptized by immersion following that decision. The reason we say immersion is Jesus specifically chose a word that means to immerse when he talked about baptism. So when Jesus talks about baptism, the word immerse, it's to submerge, to fully cover with water. So we're trying to practice what Jesus taught. So I've was baptized by immersion, following that decision, and then you'll see that final one there, I commit to live by the hard attitudes. The hard attitudes are really really seven approaches to life that are come straight out of the Bible that help us know, okay, if we're going to be faithful and in increasing, and if we're going to be faithful and focusing on changed lives, these seven things we have to continue to practice. Every single one of us is going to have to practice this if we're going to be faithful in this. So those seven hard attitudes are part of the commitment to being a member. If you have questions about the seven hard attitudes, you, there's a sign out on the back wall where you can um, see those hard attitudes. So if you want to renew your commitment, just check those yeses, and we'll get you um, set up this year for membership. If you want to become a team member, if you haven't previously been a member, next Sunday, Bevan's going to be teaching a class over in the big kids, or not the big kids, in the big room, over in the kids' building, and in that class, you'll have an opportunity to become a member. He's going to go through kind of our mission as a church, specifically how is Seabreeze working to carry out this mission that Jesus has given us. He's going to talk about some of the ways that we're organized, opportunities for people to get involved. And then at that class, like I said, there's an opportunity to become a member. So if you'd like to be a member and you haven't previously been one, you can sign up and attend that class. You can see a sign-up box right there on the connection card. And then the final thing is baptism. We have a baptism coming up on February 11th. It's going to be after each one of the services. And so if you haven't been baptized, you've identified this is a step that Jesus wants me to take. I'd encourage you to get signed up for that baptism. 
We'll get you some more information and get you set up for that as well. If you'll join me, we'll go ahead and wrap up our time in prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for um, allowing us to live in a time and a place where we can gather like this, where we can be a part of a church and we can uh, follow you publicly. We don't have to do this for fear of what might happen to us, but God, we, we really get to live out our faith in view of everyone. So Father, I, I thank you for the fact that we live in such a free time. But God, I pray that in that, I pray that we would not neglect the mission of going and increasing. We wouldn't get comfortable. We wouldn't just sit on our hands and say we're satisfied with what we've done. But we as a church would continue to look for ways to help more and more people experience life when you rule and reign, what it's like to really follow you. So Father, I pray that we would go from here and we would continue that. God, I also pray we'd focus and continue to focus on helping people experience life change. As the individual members of the church, we would, we would take what you've told us and we would put it into practice and we would come alongside and encourage and cheer for and support one another. And we would continue to grow and we would do that together. So Father, I pray that you would help us to continue in being faithful to carry out this mission. In Jesus' name, amen.